Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 66 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, who has returned live and well from the Middle East, Dubai specifically, going up really tall buildings, offending all the local customs. Uh, that, that's kind of the, the summary of the trip, right? <laughs> well, I don't hope I didn't offend that many people. They were pretty generous with the, the offensive factor. They were preparing me along the way what to do, not to do. But for the yeah. most part, I think I was... 72.5% offensive-free. Good. <laughs> good. Which is pretty good for us because since we always offend everybody in every podcast, and we're like, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, we're going to get you back up to 100% here today, right? So <laughs> yeah, what, we'll, what, we'll was the, what was the coolest thing about Dubai? Well, I spent time in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, which is about an hour north, hour and a half north. And the incredible things, I think, were the, the buildings, incredible infrastructure, tallest building in the world, buildings built on a 30-degree angle, just beautiful. They're scrubbing the sidewalks every, every morning. It was clean. It was The people were nice. It was refreshing to be around a culture that was devoted to a religion that was – you know, a lot of times people aren't dedicated to things. We just see people that were just devoted and dedicated to family and to their God. The food was incredible. Well, the the pigeon, I don't know if I'll have again, but uh, <laughs> oh. they were saying, well, this is Iraqi food and this is Iranian food. I'm like, oh, there's a difference. Oh, yeah, we got to have Egyptian food and here's Lebanese food. And <laughs> Which was the best one? I, you know, I think all, they were all into the kebabs and the grilled and the lamb and the, you know, the Lebanese and the, the Persian they call the Iranian was very good, colorful. And half the stuff I didn't know I was eating, but I know there was a lot of intestines and a lot of other things I didn't want. The don't ask, don't tell policy. But yeah, yeah. For the most part, the food was great, and then the, again, the people were so warm and open and loving, and and just incredible. Sure, it's a different culture, but wow, I think it was one of the safest places I've ever been. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So the building, the tall building there, you hear about it in Dubai. It's taller than the Empire State Building. Is that real? It's twice the size of the Empire State. <laughs> How does that thing stand up? <laughs> it's, yeah, it just shoots straight up, and it's an uh, engineering marvel. I got on the elevator. I was waiting for it to go, and it moved a little bit, and then my ears started popping, and we were almost near the top. So I don't know what the elevator was all about, but it was an engineering marvel at that. What do you put in that building? It's like a master plan community. You've got pools and the, one of the largest malls in the world down below. But I guess businesses and might even be some apartments up there, but that's great view. Yeah. And it was uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah, good people. They showed me a great time. I had people in the seminar from all over the Middle East, from Iraq to Pakistan to, oh, you name every country, Yemen, Qatar, uh, learning to be more charismatic and influential. In fact, it was a lot of fun to, uh, being from California, we had to teach them some things. So I taught them all how to say dude, that dude meant anything. Yeah, right. If you're mad, it's <laughs> dude. And if you're glad to see someone, you're like, dude. dude. So they started doing that. Then I taught them the bump. So as you see these sheiks in their full robes come up and say, dude, and bump me was uh, <laughs> the well, Twilight post zone. some pictures of that. But yeah. it was a lot of fun. And <laughs> just a warm, caring people. It was really good. Really enjoyed it. Nice. Well, that's great that you had a good time in Dubai. Taught uh, charisma and 
leadership. We can all use it in every part of the world. So cool stuff. Cool stuff. We're going to launch into the show for the day. We've got a, a geeky article moment brought to you by me. Oh, good. The geek on. It's your turn. Oh, yeah, Here. totally. Let's play the double sound for you. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I, I'm I'm geeking out today, but this is a pretty good article, and I'm not going to read uh, a bunch of excerpts to it because it pretty much speaks for itself. Study shows shorter NBA refs call more fouls, <laughs> right? <laughs> a review Who of... studies these things? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 4,000 oh, no. games were reviewed, and uh, the, the biggest challenge is the height of the referees isn't as well publicized as the height of the players, obviously. So they had to really hustle to get the height of these referee crews. But yeah, and the whole art, our article talks about, well, is this a vantage point or a Napoleon complex? <laughs> <laughs> so it, yeah, it does. The, the shorter you, you crews... Everyone would have the short person disease Referring basketball because they're six, seven, eight feet tall. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> you, ever, you would feel short no matter what your height was, pretty much. If you're six two, you feel like a midget out there. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not a lot. It's not a mind blowing uh, increase, but they definitely do call more fouls. It's over four thousand games busted. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. Play off your man if you're an NBA player and the crew's under six feet. Yeah, a little power complex here, so we've offended the shorter people on the call, so we can chalk that one up. And yep. also to put a little salt in that wound, that most CEOs are over six foot, male CEOs, so uh, there's another one. Now, that that's right or wrong, it's just reality. There's something about height, and that's an interesting one. They also did study, I remember, that refs play, when the team wore black, the refs called more fouls on the team wearing black than they did other colors so if you had a really short ref and the other team wearing black was that like double duty <laughs> you were in black they should have just had a black mask on like they're a burglar <laughs> or something that's right <laughs> it kind of makes you go really all these decisions are made on such superficial things yeah they are they yeah, are. yeah especially a ref it's all like that's all subconscious trigger i mean a lot of it's training and looking but a lot of times it's just oh oh yeah it looked like a foul and so we're sitting there going, no, no, it didn't, or hey, whoa, 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 that was, that's a job that would be pretty tough, because you're not going to be on America's most like list most of the time. Yeah, that's tough. It, it was funny, I was talking about this with my dad and my brothers, we're, we're big college football fans, and I think every sports fan would agree, at some point, the refs stink. Right. We all, especially when our team loses, the refs were horrible, right? <laughs> yeah. Only when we lose. When oh, we win, well, they were pretty good. Yeah. yeah they, you, yeah. They, yeah. Was, they were fair. They were fair. Yeah. You've noticed that, that uh, some crazy call that any objective third party sees, the winning team just kind of dismisses, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened, but we won. Right. <laughs> and the losing team just broods on it and just, it festers. The, the team that we go for is one of the most penalized uh, teams in the country. And, <laughs> It's got to the point where, you know, there's full-on hysteria about referee paranoia for some people. And some people have gone as far as to assume that, well, you know what, because we're the most penalized, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The refs go out there, oh, we got this team today. They're the most penalized, therefore we've got to penalize them. <laughs> and now it's just happening for no reason, right? So it's it's this uh, expectation and reputation where people will treat you according to your reputation, whether you've earned that reputation or not. And, yeah. of course, joking about bad refs. But, you know, in real life, we do judge on reputation. Well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We get what we, we are looking for. and That's definitely true. I mean, I tell people that all the time. So you want to aneurysm, go to a 
college football game as a neutral party and listen to both sides. And this is like, really? You know, one side's, oh, great hit. And the other side's, oh, oh cheap shot. And so whether it's right or wrong, we get what we want. We see what we want. And that's a big part of any sport or even life in general, like even in business, when people expect you to be sharp and professional or, or the opposite, they will find what they're looking for. They certainly do. They certainly do. So, well, there you go. Shorter refs. Now, now you know if you're uh, if you're losing and the other guys at the foul line all night. Uh, take a look at the height of those refs, and you may get some understanding. So, well, today we wanted to address something that's constantly in the face of salespeople, business people, and it's really important because we all go through it. And I would say that it's a part of of success. Uh, you have to have rejection in order to be successful. You have to step up to the plate and you have to take some swings. Otherwise, nothing good is going to happen for you. But this is uh, this is hard to do because it's right, Kurt, that people have a hard time separating the I'm rejecting this product for you know whatever reason. They can't separate that between I'm doing that and you stink, right? I'm rejecting you as a person and you should mm-hmm. crawl in a hole and die. And that's critical for the mindset. We've talked about the R's of resistance. We're going to kind of add a little bonus R here, which is rejection. Because if you have this big fear of rejection, if you're the type of person that would say, as you shake your head side to side, that you wouldn't be interested, would you? Because that fear of rejection permeates people to the core. And like you say, you got to stand to the plate. You got to get up there. You, you got to know that in this business that winning's all about losing. You take any professional athlete they have lost more games than they've won. Any Olympian, they've lost more events than they won. And that's part of the process. But I know it hurts. They said no. How could they say no to me? It's it's a perfect fit. And it was nice to them. And I gave them a great presentation. And right, and all of a sudden, it's a downward spiral from there. And we got to be careful on our brain to where we follow that old adage. And we've heard it a million times, but it's so true. Some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? And remember, get in your brain. They're not rejecting you personally. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe your presentation wasn't perfect. But at that time, you've got to move on. You can't go hide in a closet because there's not a lot of money to be made in a closet. <laughs> unless you're in the closet business. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're doing the, the maximizing your space in your closet. I guess that's a pretty good business. So that's one the one exception. Yeah, that's the one exception. So... It's a constant part of us, and of course, everybody's always trying to minimize the rejections that they get, and we can certainly talk about that, but what are some of the things that, that you need to do, especially when you've had one of those days, because don't, don't they come in packs, the horrible, just <laughs> made-for-TV rejections usually all kind of happen within a pack and make you just think, should I even be doing this? Yeah, I've noticed when I was doing research for Persuasion IQ that pros, pros in this business, they understand rejection. They get excited about it. They know their numbers. They know that for every five no's, they get a sell. And so it's like, okay, next. And it doesn't bother them. And they know when they get beat up or they had a bad day, something goes wrong, they have a ritual. And you have to decide what that's going to be. You have to take a little, maybe a personal timeout. The worst thing you do is get back on the phone or go do another presentation, take a little time out and have a game plan. What gets you back in the game? Is it a walk in the sunshine? Is it an energy drink? Is it chocolate? Is it looking at your vision board? Is it talking to your spouse? Is it talking to someone that really brings you up? Is it listening to something motivational? I don't care how it is, but as people climb that ladder of success and persuasion and influence, it doesn't take them 30 minutes. They can do it in a matter of minutes or even seconds sometimes, boom get back in the game. Okay, I threw an interception. I blew it just like a sports professional. 
boom, back in the game. We got to keep going. But they got to have some type of a ritual or something that they do to get their brain back on track. Yeah, definitely. You have to engage in something that you you like to do that helps you disconnect from it. Otherwise, you get swallowed up in that whole reality, that whole I'm getting rejected all the time, and that's who I am. And I, I think it's important to realize here that when somebody rejects you, it's actually not all about you. It's all about them. I don't know if it was Robert Allen, Kurt, you could probably correct me on saying this, but you'd be surprised to learn how much people think about you when you realize how little they really do. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, because they're too busy thinking about themselves. And so when they reject you, it's not they're not looking at you going, oh, this guy, he's bad for this reason. It's they're, they're scared, they're afraid, they're whatever it is. I, got, I send out a lot of direct mail to homeowners offering to buy their house, and they have to fit a certain criteria. And it was funny. I got this letter back the other day. Sometimes people send me pretty funny letters where they'll write on the letter I sent them and send it back. And uh, this one says, What about being deceased, don't you people understand? Quit sending crap to this address and my dead mother. Uh, right? Oh, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, that's about her. Uh, it's not about me, right? And th that's easy. That's direct. That's a letter. You can laugh about it. But when it happens to your face, it's a little harder to do. It is. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at intent. Your intent was not to put salt in her wound, but it was, it happened. It's a sad thing, but you just got to you know, roll with the punches. Okay, move on. You can't uh, sit there and sulk about it. I think what you said earlier too, the pros understand that it takes a certain amount of appointments or phone calls or whatever to get a sale. All right. And it's your mentality and how you approach that stuff. I know sometimes I've had jobs before in the sales industry or starting a business where I had to call through a big, long list of people who weren't going to be super anxious to talk to me. And there were going to be one or two people in there that were going to be the sales. And I kind of approached it, you know, obviously not crossing that threshold into the you wouldn't be interested, would you, while you're shaking your head sideways. But, you know, my goal was, you know, I've got to disqualify these people as soon as as soon as I possibly can so that I can get to the ones that are actually good prospects. And it was funny. Then, you know, then I wasn't... Uh, I was more taken off guard and when somebody was interested. <laughs> kind of shocking uh, when that would happen. And that's a key. We've done that before with uh, even network marketers where we say, hey, well, here's 100. No one's going to be interested. And they find two or three interested. Managing those expectations a lot of times to where people who are influencing for a living really need to understand the numbers. Because here's the non-sugar-coated version. If you don't know your numbers, if you don't know exactly how many people out of 10 people you talk to are going to purchase your product or service, you're not taking your business very seriously. That's true. That's true. Because you have to know that and understand it intellectually. Because it, let's say you needed to have 100 appointments to get five sales for whatever your product is. That's math. That's scientific. We go, okay, 100 appointments equal five sales. But the raw emotion of making that happen every day doesn't fit in a nice pretty little box like you think you should, like the numbers on the paper that said... 100 appointments equal five sales because you could get three sales in a row on your first three phone calls and then be told to go to he double every call in a row for the next 65 calls right and when you get to 100 you still have your five but was the emotional roller coaster pretty significant and a minor detail that should have been mentioned absolutely you have to have that staying power and use that ritual that kurt was talking about where you can you can disconnect and you can recharge because 
it doesn't come like that. It doesn't come on every 10th call. Here's a sale for you or every 20th call. It, well, it, yeah, it comes in packs. So that's a great point. They can actually call it the gambler's fallacy a lot of times when you're, say, you're at Vegas and, well, it's been five black in a row. The next one's got to be red. Right? There's 10 black in a row. The next one's got to be red. But statistically speaking, no, it's still a 50-50 shot. And I think we do that sometimes we get on the phone, well, the next one. There might be 10, 20, 30 rejections before you find it. You might find five or six people in a row. And that's one thing I do with with any salesperson or persuader. If you come off a great call, the worst thing you can do is take a break. You stay on the phone, follow that momentum, and the next three or four might be great prospects for you. Yeah, it's kind of hocus-pocusy, but I think you're right. That's how it is for my business. I go on appointments. I've got three appointments today, right? And I fully expect that each of these appointments is going to tell me, oh, no, not in a million years, not in any world, Steve, right? And that's just because I know the numbers. But I can tell relatively quickly when that's not going to be the case. And I have the attitude of, I got to get all these no's out of the way because there's a yes back there somewhere, right? I got I to gotta sort through all this garbage so I can get to that yes. And uh, when you look at it in that mentality of, oh, they told me no, right? Learn from it and move on and then clear those people out because somebody's ready to buy your product. And that's why I have to look at it because being persistent, being in the right mindset, getting out there and doing it. It's interesting. I was reading a study once about salespeople and how they only really – kind of prospect one to two hours a day because there's always an excuse. Well, it's Monday. Well, it's lunchtime. We've got to do this. It's Friday. Those are successful. They get out there. They do it. They make the contacts. They know there's going to be some rejection, but that's part of the process. So I have one for you, and I and we didn't talk about this beforehand, and there's probably not a right answer to this. I just want to hear your thoughts on it, okay? Mm-hmm. So we all know that rejection is a part of the business. We're, we're dialing for dollars. We're getting rejected or whatever. I mean, what's your thoughts on, can we tell, or how would we know that we're experiencing normal run-of-the-mill rejection versus we have a really bad idea, (laughs) 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 and this is not going anywhere, and you should bail out? Like I said, there's probably not a right answer, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, that's all my entrepreneurs out there. That's a big thing, because you're passionate about your idea, and that's passion alone is a great thing to overcome rejection, but after a while... A thousand no's is going to kind of erode that a passion way a little bit. And yeah, when do you stop? When do you walk away? You got to look at other people in the industry and what they're doing and their success rates. You've got to look to see out of 100 calls, was there at least somebody that was semi-interested that you could talk to? You've just got to, or even get a second opinion as far as someone who'll be re- that will look at it and will tell you the truth as far as what's really going on. And that's tough for entrepreneurs. There's you know, right, no right answer, but you've got to look at your numbers. If you've made 10,000 calls and no one's been interested and you've talked to a qualified group of people, then you got to go back and run the numbers, look at your script and realize, okay, is it you? Is it the product? Is it the market? Those are things you have to really open your eyes to. So, Kurt, you know, it's rejection costs money or actually we're making money if you look at it that way where – Leads that you talk to end up being worth a certain amount of money, assuming you convert the good leads into sales. Do we have any kind of data on that that uh, would give us some guidance? Well, it's interesting when I was looking at Persuasion IQ and successful people that, you know, how much does rejection cost? And I think part of it, too, is that fear of rejection is causing us to take rejection too soon, right? Oh, they said no, and you walk away, that you rejected, and you're tell between your legs versus, was that just a knee-jerk reaction? And no... 
We've talked about this before. The study shows that it's almost around 66% of the time when people say, no, think about it, talk to spouse, more information. They're just getting rid of you. It's not a true rejection. So I was looking at different studies. Actually, each one of these is a different study uh, that... 40% of persuaders admit to making no new contacts a week. That's fear of rejection, fear of failure. 48% gave up after one contact. Uh, Those who went to a second contact, 73% will give up. And after the third, 85%. After the fourth, 90%. But where the money is, is the 10% of the people who persist beyond the fourth contact end up with 80% of the business. Let me repeat that. The 10% of the people, the top producers, who persist beyond the fourth contact end up with 80% of the business. And that's what you have to understand. Don't take rejection too fast because maybe they didn't get it. They don't understand bad timing, more information. Maybe they're just trying to get rid of you. Stay persistent. I know there's a fine line between being a pain in the butt and being persistent. But when you can face that and realize that, okay, it's okay to have rejection. That's part of the process. Don't take rejection too fast. That first no might just be a request for more information or they don't understand the benefits that they're getting. That's 80% of the business, and that'll be huge in your income and your bottom line. Good points. I think that's true. Those people that persist, that can tactfully persist, and you know, sellers and buyers and whoever they are, life happens, and it's easy to blow off salespeople, but eventually these decisions have to be made, right? And when it gets to the point where they've just got to do it, they can't blow off the sales guy anymore. Who's been there the whole time and who was persistent? That's who they go with. I, I'm not surprised at all to hear that if you've you've persisted four times, you're going to get 80% of the business. That sounds about right to me. And that's the key. It's all packaged deal. You said, you know, do it tactfully. Make sure you do it in the right way. You don't cross that line to becoming a pain in the butt. And that's a whole nother podcast. But understand that just because they said no, just because they rejected you, just because you're having a bad day, that's part of the process. That's why this industry, what you're in as an entrepreneur or as a salesperson, whatever you do for influence, that's why this is the highest paid profession out there because you can deal with that rejection when most people can't. All right, good stuff, Kurt. Anything else on rejection before we move on to the blunder? Just dig deep. Find the passion about what you're doing that you're changing life. When you have passion, rejection's nothing. You won't hide in the closet. You're going to get on the rooftops and start shouting that you're excited about what you're doing. It doesn't matter if people say no. You go forward. You're going to make it happen. You're going to change lives, and you're going to make the world a better place. Awesome. Awesome. Cue up the Homer. Homer, bring it on. Go, go, go. Bring it on. So you've got the blunder. A world leader uh, had a cultural miscue, a cultural blunder, and it it has uh, all of China just totally up in arms. Am I right? Yeah, and I, I'm not one to talk because, you know, I was in, <laughs> on the other side of the world in the Middle East, and I made my fair share of blunders, and it's a simple thing, understanding the culture, knowing the culture, and respecting the culture. I had to get used to all the guys wanting to hug and kiss you, and that's part of the culture, versus the females you can't even touch, and that was tough when I wanted to take a picture, you want to put your arm around someone, but you have to be very careful of that. Well, this one was interesting, kind of took me off guard, where this was with uh, Putin from Russia. They were all in China doing their little meetings, world gathering, and they were getting ready to watch this firework display, and it was cold. So being the gentleman that I guess Putin is, he grabbed a shawl and put it over the wife of the president of China, and she graciously took it, then she kind of threw it off and had her aide pick it up, and you could tell she was a little startled. And the Chinese media, they went through that night, they deleted every Facebook post. I don't know how they do it, but they deleted all these links to where you couldn't find the pictures or videos anymore, at least over there. I guess it was almost like he was not being chivalrous, is that the word, or being the gentleman, 
but he was almost hitting on her and he wasn't allowed to do that. That's not his job. And it just was a class of cultures. And that would be, whether he meant to or not, or whether it was intent or not, it doesn't matter. It's how the world see it would be the blunder of the week. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, isn't that a two-way street? You have, you've got to be conscious of other people's cultures, but when somebody from another culture does something, I mean, you kind of got to just say, hey, look, I I get it. (laughs) You don't live here. (laughs) And and they do, and I think they did pretty good with that. I don't know about erasing it. He was trying to be a gentleman. She took it. At least she didn't slap in the face or kick him in the leg or something like that. I mean, it could have gone both ways, but you're right. We got to realize that, hey, we're different cultures, different things. We got to be slow to take offense, and especially as the world gets smaller and smaller, we just have to respect people's views and their beliefs, and that's okay. And that's how we move forward. Awesome. So tell us about University of Persuasion. What do we got going there? I understand. University of Persuasion is plugging along. This is uh, the 52 week program for less than two cafe lattes a month. And we're talking 60% off, 52 week program, online training, podcast archives, videos, audios. Everything you need to go, and right now we're just launching it at a deep discount. And with that discount, that follows you. You can do an annual program or a monthly program for as little as $7 a month to make it happen. There are free courses you can take. We're excited to train the world, become more influential, to go really deep. And we talk a lot about things on podcasts, but you want to go deep. You want to make it happen. You want the structured course. Universityofpersuasion.com is the place to go. That's how you're going to do it. You're going to put your persuasion training on autopilot for the next six months or year, whatever it ends up being. So that is just done. You get it done. You become a pro persuader. And at the end of the year, you are much better. And how many more deals does that end up netting you as a result? Everything you want on the other side of persuasion. And that's the key is a new tool every week, a new tool. So you use it as you apply. Here's the audio. Here's the video. Or you can even read up to it on our, on our PDF library. But these things take you to the next level. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody, thanks for listening. Send us your feedback to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com, and we'll catch you next week on another episode. See you next week. 